I'm so glad you're here. And we're talking about how to handle pressure, and we're going into a season where you know this. We've been through a lot of pressure the last two years. Thanksgiving is upon you. A lot of you have already said, I've never been this busy. Uh, life has never been this crazy. Uh, Hattiesburg, there are people in Hattiesburg, man, like from, I don't know where all from, but like you cannot get on the highway uh, during certain times. And I said last week, if you're going to deal with the pressure outside of you, you've got to first deal with the pressure inside of you. So if you miss that, you want to go back and look at that, we have it online, VentureChurch.org. You can also download the app and you can see why you and I, I'm finding this out about myself finally, of why I can get so angry and I can rage, and it's because of the shame in my life, that we all have a shame box, that there's things in our life where we've felt ashamed, uh, somebody has shamed us, and it's gone into like this box, and when something happens that make you, makes you afraid or insecure, it's like taking a match, that fear, and throwing it into that box, and that's why you rage. And for a lot of us and a lot of you, it's why you do things that you shouldn't do. Uh, it's why a lot of people use. It's the root of why they're acting out in ways that they feel so bad about later, and then they feel more shame, and it just kind of keeps the cycle going. So we said, if you're going to deal with pressure, you got to first deal with pressure inside of you. But today, I want to kind of shift the gears and say, uh, today, we're going to talk about how you deal with peer pressure. So this is really important. You say, well, I'm not a teenager. I'm going to tell you, peer pressure never ends. If you're in the nursing home, I'm going to tell you, I've seen this at nursing homes. If you're not at the right table, I mean, there's somebody pushing their wheelchair over there trying to get in with the right group. It never goes away. I mean, like if you don't deal with peer pressure now, it will follow you all of your life. And so you say, well, how do you handle peer pressure? Well, you learn to follow the one rather than the many. You say, what do you mean the one? Well, I'm talking about Jesus. When you begin to say, and I do this in my life, when I say, hey, I'm gonna do, and, and I don't always do this, but it's, this is my desire, this is my life theme. When God calls me to do something, that's what I do. And, and I like it when my family supports me. I like it when you support me. I like it when my friends support me. But at the end of the day, when God says, this is where I'm taking you. That's the only thing I need to know. And, and, and when you begin to say, I want to live a life that honors God, and I want to do what he says to do, it will change the way you look at being popular and having friends. Now, I like having friends. I like being popular. But, but that's not, that doesn't drive my life. And religion, if you're into religion, and a lot of people are. Most people in the South are into religion. I just want to know more information. I want more information. I want to be fed. You know, feed me. You know, feed me, feed me, feed me. Remember, babies have to be fed. And at some point when you go, hey, I'm going to feed myself, that's some maturity. But when you begin to say, and you're a multiplier, I'm going to be fed. But yeah, I'm going to feed myself, but I'm going to feed other people. When you do that, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And most people are not following Jesus. They're following a religious concept. I tell you, I know that, and I don't want this to make you feel shamed. <laughs> we talked about me not using this illustration because so many people last week said, I feel so ashamed because I'm acting out sexually. 
And I want to tell you why that's such a uh, difficult situation. Sociologists did a study of 10,000 students, and they asked them, do you think it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage? They had a large group that said, yes, I believe it's wrong. They had another group that says, no, I don't believe it's wrong. The problem is those who said, yes, I think it's okay, 23% of them were actually having sex outside of marriage. But of those who said it's not wrong, 28% were having sex outside of marriage. And the reality is there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we're doing. You say, well, why is that? It's because of our culture. It's because we've let other people tell us what is the right thing to do. And not everybody that says, I am a Christian, is actually following Jesus. <laughs> so let me tell you why that happens. This happened 2,400 years ago. Um, the people of God, like many of us that know Jesus, are the people of God. God said, you repent and follow me. You stop bowing down to all of your other gods. He says, you will have no other God but me. And he said, if you don't start following me and if you don't repent, I'm gonna send an ungodly ruler to judge you and take you to Babylon. Now, if you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they kept saying to the people of God, hey, you better start following God. You better start following him and saying no to all of your other gods because you have a form of godliness, but you are denying the power of God because you won't follow him exclusively. He, he's saying, well, what happens is you're a chameleon. He says, you, go, you come to church and like, man, like, oh yeah, I love, yeah, that, whoa, that was a good word, that was a good word. <laughs> and you leave here and when you get into different circles, you begin to change colors based on your atmosphere, on the people you're around. And so God sent the Babylonians. I mean, this is history. This is not anything I'm making up. He sent the Babylonians, and they took 10,000 people hostage into Babylon. They took 75 of the smartest kids and said, hey, we want to turn you into Babylonian leaders. And they began to do that, and, and you're like, well, what would you do? Like, like, like if, if, if Russia took over us, or China, and, and God said, I'm going to use the Chinese to, 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 to judge you because I've been calling you back to me, and I've been calling you back to me, and I've been calling you back to me, and since you've not done that, I'm going to bring the Chinese. What would you do? Protest and, and tweet and... And, uh, and, and, you know, balut and shoot and revolt. And let me tell you what God said for the people to do. He said in Jeremiah chapter 29, this leads up to my verse, my life verse. <laughs> he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says to those I've carried into exile into Jerusalem. Listen to this. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. 
I mean, if a foreign government takes me over, I don't want to just like live my life and enjoy my life and enjoy my family and, and, and do all those things. It gets worse. He says, also, you're to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they're encouraging you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. He, he says, you need to understand something. When, when you are in Babylon, you don't need to be like the Babylonians. He says, you need to follow me, but you need to be a good example. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. You're living in Babylon. You and I are living in Babylon. God's not sent you to Babylon. Babylon has come to you. You say, what do you mean? You know the definition of Babylon? Babylon is a city devoted to materialism and pleasure. Have you ever known a country or community that's more devoted to materialism and pleasure than ours? Babylon has come to you. You said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we need to be the Christian nation again. No, Babylon is here. And what God is calling you to do is to live for Jesus in Babylon. He's calling you to stand for God in Babylon. God is building the kingdom of God through you in Babylon, right here in Hattiesburg and Laurel and Wiggins on the Gulf Coast and all throughout America. We are Babylon. And you're like, how do you do that? Daniel chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, and a lot of people say we don't read the Bible. <clears throat> that is not true. Uh, we read the Bible every week. Daniel chapter 1, the problem is we make you understand it, and that messes you up because then you got to apply it. Daniel chapter 1, I'm sorry, that was all extra. Daniel 1, 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He besieged it, and the Lord delivered, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. They carried off the articles from the temple of uh, God to the God of Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. <clears throat> then the king ordered to Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every uh, kind of learning, a lot like me, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them daily a amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azra, and the chief priest gave them new names. He gave them Babylonian names. To Daniel, Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, chapter 3, I've got to do this very quickly. 
<clears throat> Verse 7, therefore, as soon they were said, hey, you got to bow down to this 90-foot statue, gold statue, on the plains of Dura. And as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations of people of every language, they fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At the same time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship the image of gold will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there were some Jews that uh, you said over, there were some Jews that you said over the affairs of the promise of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel was out of town, who paid no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fiery furnace. You're like, well, what does all that mean? Well, one, you need to understand that Babylon is doing something to you without your knowledge. That, that, that Babylon is trying to change you. Just like Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change these four teenagers. Can you imagine four teenagers? 16 years old, they're in Babylon, man. They're getting worked. I mean, they're given new names. They're giving a, a new identity. That's what the culture's trying to do to you, change your identity. He, he takes their names and he says, he, they come from Christian families. I can't tell you how important it is, families, to, to train your kids and lead your kids and show your kids what they ought to do. They're learning from you. When I talk to couples about marriage, I say, tell me about your parents. They've had the most influence on them. And here, this family has given them biblical names. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they had biblical names. It was all about God and God provides and is there anyone like God? And they changed their names. That's what Babylon's trying to do to you is change your name. Change your identity. You are what you do. You are what you wear. You are what you eat. You are what you go. No, you're a child of the king if you know the Lord. You are representatives of another kingdom. You were made in the image of God. You're a people belonging to God. You're to represent him in Babylon. And when it gets hard, you're to do the hard thing. If everybody stands against you where you work, play, and in your home, and everybody says, that's not right, you need to do this, you need to be like this, and they try to squeeze you into a mold, you say, I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna do what God says because I'm his child. I can never be wrong by doing the right thing that he calls me to do. The second thing they're trying to do is brainwash you. Brainwash you mentally, I love this. They take these boys and they put them in an MBA, a master of Babylonian activity. And they say, if you'll just graduate from this school and you'll learn that in Babylon, all the gods are to be worshiped. If you'll learn our language and our culture, if you'll let us indoctrinate you, we will put you at the very best tables. We will put you in a place to succeed. If you'll just listen to us, do you, do you understand? I don't know if you know this, and parents, <clears throat> can I have permission to blow your minds? Would, would you, would you, can I blow your mind? Can I do that? Do you mind that? Thank you, thank you, honey, thank you. 
We have visitors that say, yeah, you can blow my mind. I know what kind of church this is. These people are crazy. Can I tell you what they're doing to your kids? Do you know that the average kid, young person, spends one and a half hours on TikTok a day listening to Carly D'Amelio, who has 46 million followers that are telling your girls how to dress, how to act, and what to think? Eight to 12-year-olds are spending four hours and 44 minutes a day on their cell phone. They see 6,000 advertisements saying, you want to look beautiful? You look like this. You want to be accepted? You act like this. You want to be on the in crowd? You do this. They're brainwashing your children. They are pushing against your children. And we are given such a small amount of time. And I'm thinking, we don't have enough time with your kids to overcome all that they're seeing online. The average young boy sees their first picture of pornography when they're eight years old. I've got a grandson who's seven, and I pray, God, God, please, God, God, please, please help us know what to do. God, help my kids know what to do. God, God, please help us. God, God, don't let them brainwash them. Because Babylon is trying to brainwash you. Babylon is trying to offer you social elite status. You know what they said to these boys? Hey, if you'll just eat the king's food and drink the king's wine and come to the king's table, we'll put you up here. We'll, we, 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 we will advance you. You'll be at the top of the food chain. Do you understand what they were doing to these 16-year-old boys? They were putting them in a position where it wasn't just about eating. It was about everything that you can imagine that would be wrong for a 16-year-old boy to see. I mean, they were playing that, that song, you know, y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. I, I'm, I could, there's a bunch of them I could sing, but uh, the staff has asked me not to. I was in a play. Can I just say this real quick? I, I was in a situation not too long ago, and, you know, like occasionally I get to go to ball games. Now, 36 years, I need to go to ball games. And, and I went to a ball game, and I, I, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, there were old people, young people, drunk people, drunk people, and, and, and it was amazing. I was looking at Babylon, and, and literally, you know, people that won't stand at church and won't sing at church and don't like loud music at church, I had old people, y'all gonna make me lose my mind? Old lady, up in here, up in here. And I was thinking, girl, you don't need to be singing that. You let these young people sing that. Do you understand what our culture's doing to us? They're living in Babylon. They're switching the price tags. This is good, this is bad. They want you to sell your soul for a bowl of porridge. You say, well, what's that got to do with me? When the band plays, are you going to kneel? I would never kneel to a statue. I know, but popularity, pleasure, being powerful. When the music starts playing, what are you going to do? 
You're saying, man, you're being hard on us. No, I'm talking about me too. Don't you understand that I live in the same world you live in? Don't you understand that the pressures I have in our world because of my position in this community are about 10 times what you're thinking about? I get you. I love you. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you, you're living in Babylon. You're not living in Jerusalem. Jesus is not coming back to Hattiesburg. He's not, or Wiggins. He said, well, well, what do we do? Well, you have to decide beforehand where you're going to draw the line. As a follower of Christ, what are your standards? Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel up front decided. He resolved. He rehearsed not to defile himself at the king's table. He said, you want to change my identity? Go ahead. You want to change my name? That's fine. You want to try to teach me three years MBA? Go ahead, teach away. But I'm not going to act in this way at your table. I will not. As Clint Eastwood, that great theologian says, a man's got to know his limitations. Where are you drawing the line? When the, I get to do this at 10 o'clock to all the students and just wreck them. It's so much fun doing what I do. Um, but when the music plays, what are you going to, are you going to, I said, well, I'm not going to bow, but I'm going I'm, I'm to bow one knee because I got to, I got to make a living. I got to have a date. I got to have an opportunity. I said, well, I'm not going to bow, but I'm going to, I'm going to hunker down a little bit. Some dogs up in here. We're going to hunker down a little bit. What are you going to do? Where are you going to draw the line when the music plays? When the music played, 71 students knelt. Only three stood. It's 5%. Of the 350 students that went this weekend, we're just looking for 18. 18 people out of 350 would change our communities. Because it is the nature of every believer. You know what, you know what happens to us? Can I, would you stay with me? Because uh, uh, You know what happens to us? We begin to slide away from things we know are right. We begin to make compromise. Two weeks ago, I was at the New Orleans Saints-Tampa Bay game because I really don't like uh, Tom Brady. And I uh, was hoping you know, he would get beat. And I would say, Gazelle, honey, but she's not as pretty as you. I just want you to know that. I'm just saying, like, I just want to see the whole family. And... And I was in the, at the game, and uh, it was Halloween. But let me show you one of the guys I met, just to kind of let you know, um, guy that goes to Temple. And, uh, and the, the, th the thing is, y'all need to stop that. <clears throat> just playing. David's my friend. And so I'm at the game, and I'm thinking, this is great, you know? And, but there was these drunk people. Everywhere I go, there are drunk people in front of me. I don't understand that. Like everywhere I go, they're drunk people, and they're singing, and you know, it's getting hot in here, and I'm going to start right there. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going and going, and this guy was dropping bombs and dropping bombs and dropping bombs, and I'm thinking, you know, God, that's terrible. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm off the clock. You know, I punched out. Like, like I'm at the game. He don't know me, and there was a young man sitting down in front of him, and he stood up. as a young uh, black man, and he stood up, and he turned around and he said, that's the last one of those that's coming out of your mouth. And I went, 
And the guy, it took the guy back, and I thought, this guy will crush him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's girlfriend. And, and I said, they, I mean, it was psycho. It was, I was in Babylon, and this guy turns around, and looks at him, and he's just standing there, and I'm thinking, ooh, this is going to be good. And the guy, this cousin, turns around and looks at me and says, did I offend you? And I thought, well, of course you offended me, but I couldn't make my mouth move. You ever been in that situation where you had an opportunity to stand and you kneeled? When you had a chance to stand in Babylon and you kneeled. Let me tell you, in Babylon, God is calling you, and I know this is hard, He is calling you to step into the fire. The fire of being different, not to be different, but to follow Jesus. I love what these these kids said. They said, you know what? Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're we're not bowing. And they took those boys up. They were wrapped up in all this stuff. They looked like marshmallows and threw them in there. Threw them in there. And Nebuchadnezzar's looking down in there, and he goes, hey, there's, th- there's four people down in there, and one of, one of them looks like the son of the gods. Yeah, Jesus up in there, bro. When you go through the fire, he says, I will be with you. He says, the water will not rush over you. He says, I've got your back. He says, it's you and me, and we're a majority. When God tells you something, you say, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him. You say, but I may lose this. I may lose that. God will give it back to you. You just keep stepping. You say, but I may lose my girlfriend. Let me tell you, if you base your relationship on sex, you're going to be disappointed because when you get married, you're not going to do that all the time. I know you think you are, but you've got to go to work. Let me clean my glasses off so I can see you. Because God's way is the best way. And we're not going to bow. So let me ask you, before you roll out of here, when the band plays in your life, are you going to stand? Are you going to kneel? You going to kneel to pleasure? You know, I know what's wrong, but I, you know, are you going to kneel to popularity? Well, if I don't do that, I'll never be able to go out on Friday night. And if I don't get to go out on Friday night, I will die. Power. I got to be in control. I got to be in control. Performance. Man, I got to cut corners. I got to perform. Pornography. You need to tell somebody you're struggling. You need to get help. If you're introduced at eight years of age, it is a wound in your brain. You say, well, how do you do all that? Well, I invite you to a bigger picture. Until you see the bigger picture of a God who can deliver you out of the furnace, you will never stand. You will always bow. So let me ask you a question. And this is between you and the Lord. Right now. When the music plays in this area of your life, what are you bowing to? Look, this is not a shame and blame sermon. 
This is a freedom sermon. Because when you come to the cross and you lay that at the foot of the cross, you're reminded your God is able to help you. Your God is able to forgive you. Your God is able to deliver you from the fire. Your God is able to break the chains that bind you. The reason I talk about this, when you give yourself to other things other than God, they will rule you. They will destroy your joy. They'll make you live a double life. this, This is not about me. This is about your joy, about being who you are, about following Jesus in Babylon, not kneeling to a bunch of different gods. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar didn't mind them serving God. He says, oh, you've got a mighty God that delivered you, but you've got to worship all these other gods. And they said, no, I've got one God. How about you? Father in heaven, we deserve to be judged. As a country, we've taken everything in your word and we've made it Babylon. God, we spend hours and hours and hours getting educated in the Babylonian culture. And we spend seconds reading your word and praying to you. God, instead of the fire, we want a chair with a cup holder. And God, I know that you're calling us to have skin in the game, to stand when everybody else kneels. So, Father, help us. Pour out your spirit on us. God, give us an opportunity to make a comeback. And may it start today as we lay our idols down. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.